0: Hey everyone, Eric Grenier here and welcome to the 27th episode of The RIT Podcast. The big election this year in Canada will be Ontario's. It's scheduled to be held on June 2nd. That means we're just 132 days away from Election Day in Ontario and little more than three months away from the start of the election campaign. So as we enter this election year in Ontario, I wanted to check in again with Sabrina Nanji of Queen's Park Observer. Sabrina runs the Queen's Park Observer Newsletter, another substack like the writ, and you should check it out at qpobserver.com. She has also been regularly updating us on the latest election news in Ontario, but is joining me today for a more in-depth discussion on how the political parties are preparing for the vote. Sabrina, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. So um, the legislature isn't sitting right now and it's not coming back for a little while. When it was sitting just before the holiday break, what was the feeling like there? Was it, did it feel like everybody was just waiting until the next election or, you know, was, was it tense? What was the mood like in, at Queen's Park?
1: You know, it's felt like everyone's been in campaign mode for the last few months, whether or not the House is sitting. I mean, of course, when the House is sitting, we've got question period debates um, and it was getting a bit, you know, feisty. Uh, You know, the Premier Doug Ford, he's not there all the time, but he kind of gives us a little uh, a few hints of, you know, some campaign slogans or, or where they're. Uh, ridings they're gunning for. He was like hitting really hard uh, against the NDP's representative for Windsor. You know, uh, we, maybe we can get into that a little bit more. But yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, vitriol uh, going back and forth. Uh, you know, even th- there's been advertising coming out from all parties, uh, you know, more, more so the NDP and, and the PCs. Uh, I think we saw a bit of that because now the parties are, uh, you know, subject to to limits on on how much they spend because we're so Sort of in that uh pre-writ period right now it's only you know less than five months to the campaign so there's ads um we've seen some uh election promises you know some hints at, at platform uh promises coming down you know some bold promises from the liberals uh you know everyone's been fundraising like like crazy uh you know we know the limits are going up again this year uh fundraising events are back obviously the pandemic has kind of thrown a wrench into this but you know it hasn't really stopped the parties from uh, you know calling people i just heard uh, you know a couple of the pcs making calls today um you know they've been canvassing knocking on doors uh, a, a lot everyone's everyone's fully in campaign mode right now and even me too you know everyone's nominating candidates uh all the issues are coming out, you know, the the polls are are already gauging what the electorate thinks is gonna be important. I think we saw one uh, this week from Abacus Data, you know, obviously the pandemic is top of mind, uh, cost of living, housing affordability, and now we're starting to see the parties kind of, uh, you know, uh, shift maybe to talk about those issues a bit more. So yeah, you know, uh, (laughs) uh, get ready for a ride. Uh, I, I think it's just gonna keep getting more intense as we move ahead.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And you mentioned uh, the polls. I think before we get into where the party stand, I I do want to talk a little bit about that because uh, we're recording this on Thursday and just in the last 24 hours or so, we've seen four polls come out and it's not exactly clear what they're showing. We had uh, numbers that came out from Abacus Data and ECOS Research. More or less showing a um, you know eight or nine point lead for the PCs over either the Liberals or the NDP who are tied in second, um, you know which was a bit of a surprise because we had seen some approval rating numbers for Doug Ford that seemed to be going down. But then we got a poll from Main Street Research that had the PCs only thirty one percent. They're only just looking at the numbers here, three points ahead of the NDP who was in. Um, who was in, uh, uh, sorry, it was the Liberals who were in second and the NDP in third. But then this morning, Thursday morning, we got an Angus Reid Institute poll that had the New Democrats at 36% and the PCs at 33% and the Liberals at 19%. I mean, you look at all these numbers and it's really hard to know what, what's actually going on. Like when you have been talking to people at Queen's Park, you know, which ones, which sets of numbers do you think lines up with where people actually think things are?
1: You know, I think, I think what these polls are telling us is just that it's kind of anybody's game right now. I think there, there were a few surprises. Um, I think one thing that the conservatives definitely aren't happy about is, is the premier's personal approval rating. I mean, it's Virtually in the toilet right now, hovering around 30%, you know, let's just say, generally, from the polls that we saw this week, um, we know that he swept a majority at Queen's Park with about 40% of the vote. So, uh, you know, his personal brand is suffering, but the PC party itself is is doing better than him. And I I think we've also kind of seen that uh, on the liberal side of things, too. You know, maybe people don't know too much about the new ish leader, Stephen Del Duca, or, you know, what they do know he's. He's got a lot of political baggage, um, but the liberal brand, um, is doing well. I think, uh, you know, the Angus Reid poll that came out today with, uh, putting the NDP on top, I think was very surprising. It it did seem like a bit of an outlier, but I think, yeah, you know, it just feels like anybody's game for, for June when, when the election is scheduled right now, I think, um, uh, every party has something that they're taking away from these polls obviously um I think that what what stood out to me is that it just seems that the pcs are you know they they're probably in good shape you know generally speaking obviously the pandemic is weighing on on that uh, but I think that they, they right now they're they're feeling pretty confident. It's just whether or not they can actually get that majority again. And of course, you know things could change. Um, one of our our colleagues at CBC, Mike Crowley, actually had a great scoop on uh, internal government polling and. You know, there was a lot of juicy tidbits in there, but one of the big things was that anytime the pandemic situation is bad, uh, you know, hospitalizations are up, schools are closed, businesses are locked down. Um, Unsurprisingly, you know, support for the governing party goes down. So I think that depending on the pandemic situation in June, um, that could spell trouble again for the conservatives. I mean, who knows what will happen there? Uh, I think something else that stood out to me is the support for other parties uh, and and there's not always specifics in the polls, uh, but we know that there are fringe parties out there that have emerged now. Um, Ontario First, the New Blues, uh, you know, sort of this anti-lockdown crowd um, has kind of galvanized these spin-off parties, uh, former Tories as well. So I think it will be interesting. Uh, you know, they, they do have like a minimal uh, amount of support in these polls, right? Like less than 5%. But I think it will be interesting to see how this plays out. We kind of always talk about vote splitting uh, on the so-called left, or left of center with the NDP and the liberals. uh, And we'll see if that happens, uh, you know, on on the, with the Tories and and some of those spinoffs. I don't know if anyone's really sweating these parties, but I think it'll be interesting to see how much support they get. Uh, You know, obviously I don't know if your anti-lockdown stance, who knows what the situation will be in in the spring, if that can actually bring people out to the polls. I think that's going to be one, one uh, story to watch. Uh, I think, you know, Right now, it'll be up to uh, it'll be up to each party to kind of, you know, take what they want out of these polls. But they'll tell you, you know, the only poll that really matters is the one on Election Day.
0: The People's Party did get just over four percent in Ontario in the federal election. So if one of those parties and uh, there's another one also, Derek Sloan. Who has come back from Alberta when he was there for a little while to run for as an independent Alberta uh, is, is going to be running the Ontario Party. So there's going to be lots of competition. I'm not sure if any of them is going to be able to galvanize 4%. And, you, and the thing about the pandemic that you mentioned, how the government's numbers go up and down, one of the things that I think was kind of notable about these polls is that the ones that were done before it was announced or leaked that the schools would be coming back as scheduled have worse numbers for the PCs than the abacus and ecos polls that was done a little bit after that. So I wonder if that's one of the factors we're seeing that, you know, the announcement that the schools would be returning on time uh, kind of signaled to a lot of people that, oh, okay, things are getting better and the government's not flip-flopping again. Maybe that has helped them. So, um, you know, maybe that's the kind of thing we're going to be seeing in, in the next few months as the pandemic goes up and down, that the PC numbers might kind of match people's mood about the pandemic.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because, um, you know, some, I guess you could argue some in the PC base might not be, you know, uh, they're, they're business minded, you know, I mean, I, maybe more so than other parties. And I think, you know, lockdowns. Um, uh maybe maybe not the most popular thing but i think that they're int- the conservatives from what i'm hearing their internal polling shows that you know generally obviously when the covid situation is bad lockdowns are popular with the public i think we've seen that even in public polls as well so um it's interesting to see how their policies are kind of playing out and of course you mentioned like these these announcements that are kind of weeks and the announcements, uh, they, they seem to be trial balloons of, of sorts. Uh, as a reporter, it's very frustrating, you know, to kind of just chase rumors. Um, but I do think that, you know, there is, th- this tends to happen a lot where they float these, uh, even, even this week, you know, we've had these leaks about restaurants reopening in a, in a couple of weeks uh, for indoor dining. Um, we're seeing the feedback from that, we're gonna get the official announcement, so, uh, you know, I, I, you could. It's, it's really just up to us to. I guess optics-wise, it kind of looks like they are tailoring um, their response a bit to the, to, to public response. And obviously, obviously, we. That's not the only factor here in this decision making, but you know, politics is kind of informing all of this, but behind
0: the scenes. Oh, shocker, but uh, anyway. <laughs> so you know, you did mention that the PCs uh, seem to be kind of confident going into the election. So. My question, though, is who do they see as their primary opponent? Because with the exception of that Angus Reid poll that clearly had the NDP being, you know, the main opposition, we're more or less seeing polls showing the Liberals and the New Democrats tied um, maybe a point or two or three separating them. So from the PC perspective, who will they be campaigning against?
1: I mean, we have seen ads from them, you know, attacking NDP leader Andrea Horvath and Liberal leader Stephen Daldyka. But Del Duca is, is shaping up to be the the man to beat in in 2022 right now. Um, even even I would argue for the, for the NDP too. Um, you know, I think Gent, uh, you mentioned, you know, that they're kind of neck and neck, statistically speaking, with, with the NDP for, in, in most of those polls. Um, and I think most Ontarians probably identify themselves maybe as like a small L liberal. So the party brand is really upheld itself. Obviously, 2018, that's a whole other episode for us to get into that. But that was like a change election. You know, it was the PC's uh, essentially, to win, and um, now they're 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 gunning for a- after Del Duca. I mean, in those advertising blitzes that we had seen a couple of uh, months ago, they they were tying him to Kathleen Wynne. You know, we know she had a lot of unpopular decisions. Um, uh, they were trounced in 2018, you know, decimated to seven seats. They they put out ads, you know, calling Del Duca Kathleen Wynne's right-hand man. You know, he was there at the cabinet table, uh, you know, making these unpopular decisions like partially privatizing Hydro One. Um, and, and they have done that with Andrea Horvath, but I think it's it's a, it's more intense with Del Duca um, when, when there was all this uh, controversy, controversy around the funding for the Hamilton LRT, uh, you know, still Still controversy happening there. They had these like clips of Stephen Del Duca announcing the money uh, and criticizing him, like ready to go on social media. So I think he he is shaping up to be the, the man to beat um, right now. Uh, you, you know, the, the polls I think a lot of people don't know Del Duca enough or what they do know. Um, they don't really like uh so I think we're gonna see a lot of reminders about his political baggage, you know. Um, he tried to bypass local uh, protection, environmental protection rules, to, to get a pool built in his backyard. They kind of, you know, all the things that people don't like about liberals, uh, you know, elitist, insidery, like helping out their buddies. We're gonna see a lot of that talk coming from them. Um, I think Del Duca, you know, his line is that he takes it as a compliment, um, and but, but I do think that you know he's got his own he's got his own issues to work on. Uh, I. I I don't think the liberals will mind if I say that, uh, you know, some of their internal polling has suggested that uh, women in particular actually don't like Del Duca that much. Um, And he's not the most charismatic guy either. Um, He's kind of made those self-deprecating jokes uh, that he's not so charming. You know, um, I think he actually does well when he when he kind of can laugh at himself. Um, But I think that, you know, defining Del Duca is going to be a big thing for all the political parties now
0: yeah when there's a vacuum in terms of knowledge uh you know all the other parties are going to rush to try to fill that vacuum in the most negative way and i guess if you are the pcs if you're looking at the numbers you might conclude that the ndp is going to have a lot more trouble growing than maybe the liberals so trying to keep the liberals down would probably make some sense but if the pcs are looking at you know the map uh, based on where the polls are you know it's mostly a defensive game right they're not expecting to be able to pick up seats, uh, except for maybe a few individual cases. But in terms of, you know, if they can still come out of this with 65, 70 seats, I'm sure they'd be happy, even if it's a, if it would represent a loss from 2018. But for the PCs, where is ground zero for them? Where is the place that if they lose, they lose the government?
1: Well, that's kind of the interesting thing here because they're obviously, you know, campaigning hard against the liberals in Del Duca. But I think the areas where they could pick up is NDP territory. So they've been pushing hard in the north. Um, they've been pushing hard in Windsor, the Windsor Essex area, um, especially Windsor. You know, they've had their candidates, uh, you know, nominated months ago, uh, and there's the NDP is losing some incumbents over there as well. And I think that area there's kind of this. Uh, this interesting, uh, you know, cross-section of voters, uh, you know, blue, there's a lot of blue-collar workers there that would swing between the NDP and the Conservatives rather than go Liberal. Um, I think also the, the GTA, we can't really forget about that. Uh, I think, you know, Toronto proper, downtown, um, I think that's maybe more of an NDP Liberal battle. Uh, but I think, you know, on the outskirts of that, uh, I, we can get into Ajax and Rod Phillips, you know, high-profile PC minister bowing out. Um, But I I think like on the outskirts of Toronto, I know Scarborough Center is one that they're kind of worried about losing. They don't have an incumbent there running now. Um, Christina Midas, you know, stepping down to spend time with her family. Uh, And these are these have previously been territory of of the liberals. So I think, you know, they might lose a couple of GTA seats, um, but they're going to push hard in, uh, you know, Windsor, the north as well, which is NDP territory, too.
0: Uh, you kind of mentioned it a little bit earlier with uh, those other parties, the the New Blues, the Ontario First, the Ontario Party. Do you get any sense that the PCs are concerned about them at all?
1: Um, you know, it's it, I guess it depends on on who you talk to. I don't think that they see them as an actual real threat. Um, I think maybe in. Uh, some of the ridings where they had lost incumbents. You mentioned Derek Sloan and the Ontario party, like Rick Nichols has been a long time. Uh, You know, he's, he's crossed. He he didn't get vaccinated and, and was booted out. So he's an independent now, but his, his, sided with Derek Sloan, you know, says he's not going to run again, but I think it's those, those writings, um, obviously Randy Hillier, uh, you know, he's, he's out the new blues, Belinda Carajalios in Cambridge. I think maybe they're worried about those seats, but they kind of don't really have them now. They've lost, you know, a bunch of incumbents either who got booted or, or, or kicked out or sorry, kicked out or, you know, crossed the floor um, or they're not running again. So I think it's, that's, that's really where the, they're going to be worried, but in terms of, you know, stealing seats, I, I don't think so. I think one interesting spot actually is York center, um, Roman Baber, who, you know, former PC taken an anti-lockdown stance, you know, got kicked out. Uh, he hasn't really said formally whether he'll run again, but again, you know, kind of in the GTA, those, those spots, uh, it might be, might be a little more competitive for them than, than they would like.
0: Ajax, uh, you mentioned that being one of those uh, in the GTA, Rod Phillips not running again seemed to have come as a bit of a surprise. What was your take on what was behind that and what it means for the PCs?
1: I think everyone was shocked by that, Uh, you know, the, the premier's office, uh, we had seen Rod Phillips, you know, do these flashy photo ops with the premier just a few days before. So I think no one really saw that coming. Um, It's a huge blow politically uh, to to the conservatives, but I I think, you know, that's because Rod Phillips, you know, he's, uh, he's been a steady hand at the cabinet table. He's been credited with, I mean, obviously long-term care is, you know, struggling again right now, but he was credited with kind of bringing it out of, Uh, You know, some of the trouble that through the pandemic, you know, there's legislation for for building new homes, you know, accountability, that type of thing. Um, He he did have political ambitions, right? Like he ran against Doug Ford for the leadership. Um, I think that there was a bit of uh, looking over the shoulder from the premier. Maybe he doesn't need to worry about that so much anymore. Um, But it's a huge loss uh, for the front bench when it comes to the election, though. I mean, I've been hearing that a lot of people felt that. Phillips couldn't have won that seat again. Um, the electoral map obviously changed in 2018, but Ajax, that area, had before Phillips been represented by the liberals, you know, for, uh, you know, a, a decade or more. Um, federally, it's it's liberal too. So I think that that, uh, you know, maybe maybe he wanted to, to bow out. Uh, this is me speculating. Um, you know, obviously Phillips has his official line and all of that, but maybe he wanted to bow out, you know, before that. I, I don't think that we've seen the end of You know his time in politics. He says he's going to go back to the private sector for now. Um, But I think you know we can't really forget about Saint Bart's and that unauthorized vacation last winter during lockdowns. Um, I know that the NDP and the Liberals, you know, their candidates are, are already you know in place and that they've been reminding constituents in Ajax, like remember your your MPP did this. So I think. Generally, like like we do not vote when like we vote for our MPP, and so I think that even though Phillips is very well respected, you know he's a strong politician. Um, I think maybe voters on the ground at the doors that they didn't that the St. Bart's trip rubbed them the wrong way, um, and I know that the opposition parties were reminding constituents about that every chance they got. So that'll be that'll be another interesting one to watch.
0: Yeah, well, Phillips will now have a bit more time to spend on the beach. Um, so we'll move over <laughs> to the New Democrats. Um, You know, they came up pretty close to to winning in in 2018. There was even some moments during the campaign where they're narrowly ahead of the PCs in the polls. Um, They haven't really been able to maintain that. None of the polls, well, except for that one that just came out this week, but virtually none of the polls have had them growing from their 2018 uh, position. So do they feel like they have a legitimate shot of forming government in this election, particularly in terms of winning more seats than the PCs?
1: You know, I mean, it's, it's actually really embarrassing for the NDP, I think, like they are official opposition, and they, they've, you know, for the most part in the polls, they're still in third place. Um, I think that even Andrea Horvath, you know, she's been there for so long now. And so it if they lose official opposition, um, you know, like lose even a lot of seats to the Liberals, I think her leadership will definitely be in question. Um, One, one thing that, you know, I think has really hurt them is, and of course, you know, there's still time to go towards the campaign, but it'll be interesting to see if they go left or right of center here and and what they uh, want to do, because in 2018, they kind of pivoted towards the right, you could say, I know that angered a lot of dippers. Um, and now we kind of see some of the promises from the liberals, uh, very bold and, you know, lefty, uh, you would call them lefty promises, you know, a four-day work week pilot, um, you know, bringing back basic income, that type of thing. Uh, we, we haven't, you know, obviously it's still early days yet. We haven't seen the platform yet uh, from the NDP, but it'll be interesting to see if they can kind of outlast The liberals here, um, with some bold promises, I think they they really need that. Um, They've, I I think they've kind of you know not really taken advantage of being official opposition. Um, It's one thing to just criticize, but when you also want to be premier, you need to say what what you'll do. And so sometimes when we're asking Andrea Horvath, you know, if you were premier, what would you do? And she says, well, it's you know not not on her uh, to do it. So I I think that you know they maybe of all the parties, to me, they seem they're not really. In, in campaign mode as seriously as uh, some of the others. But again, you know, Steven Del is not in the house. Uh, he, he can focus fully on on the campaign. So there's a lot of factors at play here. I think, you know, um, 2018 certainly was a change election and uh, it will be interesting to see how this kind of plays out between the Liberals and the NDP, especially in Toronto.
0: Yeah. well you know, my question for the PCs was who is their opponent? And I guess it's the same thing for the NDP. Do they have to campaign against Del Duca or do they have to campaign against the PCs? I know like geographically, it depends in some places they have to do one or the other, but you know, if it's, if they're on the debate stage, which person is Horvath going to be turning to the most to criticize?
1: I mean, that's an interesting one. They've also taken out ads, the NDP against Stephen Del Duca um, as well. And so I I do think that you know, they do see an opportunity there. Obviously there's been, you know, a very long history in this whole country of, you know, the NDP versus the the liberals and that type of thing. So I I think for sure we will see, you know, a lot of hard campaigning against Stephen Del Duca. Um, And uh, we haven't seen so many ads actually from Del Duca, but, you know, it's it's kind of how you define, it's who defines who first. So I think... um, we're waiting to see how, I guess, how Del Duca plays this, but yeah, the the NDP, they've they've been pushing hard against Stephen against Del Duca. And I think, you know, it makes sense. Like, obviously, you need to, uh, th- there are some voters there. Like I, The NDP obviously picked up a lot of Toronto seats that the Liberals lost in 2018, so... those those seats will be very competitive between those two. And also the NDP are losing like a lot of their incumbents as well in ridings that they've held for a long time. I had mentioned Windsor, Essex. um, And I think we know know, incumbents, they naturally tend to get a leg up. There's name recognition, you can run on your record, that sort of thing. So um, it'll be interesting to see where they are pouring their resources.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, and particularly for New Democrats, it always seemed to me that their their incumbents are worth more than a liberal or or PC or conservative incumbent. It just I guess for in most places, if you're voting New Democrat, most of the time you know you're voting for an opposition member, right? So you must very much like your local MP or MPP. Um, so the, to lose an incumbent for the New Democrats, I think cost them a lot more. So yeah, some of those seats that, uh, you know, they would normally count on in an election, they're going to have to fight for a little bit more. But if they were trying to figure out how to grow, um, you know, they do need to take votes from the liberals, but there's only seven liberal seats, they can't form a government with just seven extra seats, right? So where do they try to take seats away from the PCs?
1: I think for sure it's going to be the, the GTA, even the outskirts there. Um, they do have a lot of their candidates, you know, uh, the Scarboroughs, if I can lump those all together. Um, you know, even going out in the 905 as well. I mean, the 905 is uh, you know competitive for everybody. It's a very vote-rich area. Um, you know, a lot of ethnic communities. We can we can say that. Uh, so I, I think you know the 905, and even in 2018, a lot of those races were very close. Um, Treasury Board President um, Conservative Pr- Pramit Sakaria. He uh, you know he there wasn't very close there even in um, in Brampton those spots as well Um, so I think we're also going to see a lot of promises that impact those ridings as well like there's a lot of controversial highway promises on the table right now um, you know addressing traffic uh, and congestion you know a big deal for the 905 Um, I think we're going to hear more about like auto insurance we know that like Brampton has the highest rates there so I think the 905 again is going to be very competitive and that's Uh, And a lot of those races in 2018, I think the NDP will be pushing hard there.
0: For the Liberals, they, um, you know, they have a big job ahead of them, right? They're coming from seven seats. It's a little bit like the federal Liberals back in 2015. They were the third party. At the time, the federal Liberals had a plan. It was more or less a two-election plan, right? Get back into maybe official opposition status in 2015 and then vie for government. For the Ontario Liberals, are they seriously imagining they can go from third to first or is, are they trying to play a long game? What's their strategy in that sense?
1: So, um, just if I can get into like the weeds here a little bit, I, it's really interesting because the Ontario liberals, they, they, their own constitution, their own rules, um, if Del Duca basically doesn't become premier, there's a leadership review. So obviously for Del Duca, the stakes are very high. Um, personally, I think he'll get another shot uh, as leader. Uh, if, even if he doesn't become premier, you mentioned, it's like a huge gap he needs to make up. They've only got seven out of uh, 124 seats. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I do think that that's going to be a, uh, It's going to be like a big. It's it's going to play a big a big part in this as as well. Um, You know, uh, it's it's going to be up to. I think it's going to be more between the Liberals and the NDP. It'll be more about you know the the promises kind of that are and the platforms that get put out there. You know, it's one thing to vote against somebody and it's another thing to vote for somebody. So if you have bold promises that can rally people to the polls, that's going to be where it counts.
0: Yeah, and Del Duca has been trying stuff. I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's promising electoral reform, uh, which I know is a dirty word for liberals, um, <laughs> you know, after what the federal liberals did, but um, they do seem to be like they're trying, they're swinging for the fences, to use a sports metaphor.
1: Yeah, they, 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 you know, promised to get rid of those MZOs, those controversial orders that, you know, bypass planning to, to get stuff built. Um, you know, OK, I should add there's a lot of exceptions there, but they are already coming out with these huge, bold promises. Um, they've been nominating candidates like crazy. We kind of mentioned that, you know, people don't really know Del Duca. Um, he's not the most charismatic guy. So they've been pumping up their candidates quite a bit. Um, and they do have, you know, a pretty diverse ticket so far. Obviously, they've had the most um, candidates to nominate, the most ground to make up. Uh, so there's still a long way to go for them. But I think we're going to see it's going to for them. It's going to be more about the, the candidates, I think. Uh, and then maybe, you know, more about Del Duga a little closer to the to the actual vote.
0: I want to talk just briefly about the the fourth party the greens they did win a seat in 2018 mike schreiner winning the seat of guelph um for them what is this campaign about are they i mean guelph uh, was won by pretty wide margin i'm not sure if anybody thinks schreiner is really in any danger so are the greens trying to win a second seat and what would it be
1: no that's a great question i mean they they always punch above their weight at the green party i mean mike schreiner um You know, he's always really quick. Reporters love it, you know, with his uh, you know reactions to whatever the government's doing. That's great. You know, get a comment right away. They're always punching above their weight, just you know, to have one MPP there. Only so many resources, um, and and they're really on top of things. And actually, that's kind of how it was historic in 2018 that Schreiner even got elected. You know, the first Green MPP, um, and even you know federally, uh, just this last election, you know, Ontario. Uh, you know, elected a a Green MP MP as well, federally. So I do think that there is room for them to pick up. Um, And their strategy in 2018 um, was to pour all their resources in Guelph, which is where uh, Shriner represents. So I think that, you know, those spots, and even maybe even in the 905 as well, um, obviously there's a lot of controversial highways, are shaping up to be a big election issue, the Bradford bypass for for the 413. Uh, We know the Greens are not happy about that. So I think that those areas, uh, those campaigns, um, you know, you might want to vote NDP, or sorry, Green, just to, you know, have the voice there in the House to be opposed to these Uh, projects, you know, or what's happening to the green belt, if if you're not happy about it. So um, I I don't know if I'm if I'm ready to say specific, specific writings. I think um, one interesting thing is that they do have a very high profile candidate, Diane Sachs, um, the former environmental commissioner uh, who's running for them in in University Rosedale. Um, Obviously, that has been liberal territory for a while. It's it's NDP. Um, So I don't know if the Greens can pick that one up. But obviously, Diane is a a very high profile candidate. Um, She'll give them a a run for their money there, I think.
0: Yeah, Uh, Annemie Paul didn't seem to have much of an impact in, you know, downtown Toronto in the federal campaign. But, you know, maybe Kitchener Center, where they did win that seat, maybe that uh, becomes an option for them. Uh, So, you know, we're going to be uh, returning to the House. The House is returning when? In, In February?
1: Yes, scheduled for after the family day long weekend, so February 22nd. But uh, it kind of feels like anybody, anything could happen these days. Um, there's all these calls for, uh, you know, an early, early return. Um, there's fears that it might get pushed back, the house coming back. I mean, obviously, politically speaking, the pandemic situation, uh, isn't so great right now. So, you know, getting yelled at in question period uh, and then having those clips on social media, maybe not the best thing for the PCs right now. Um, and I, they, they haven't wanted to do virtual sitting. So for now it's, uh, it's February 22nd, but I guess we'll see, we'll see how it goes.
0: Yeah. And once that happens, what will be for you, the main event? I assume it'll be the budget.
1: Yeah, the budget's gonna be the, the big thing here. Um, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that it's it could be a little later, but it is legally due out by March 31st. And obviously this is the pre-election budget. So any campaign goodies uh, from the PCs, will see them there. Uh, maybe a return of Bucket Beer, which didn't quite uh, pan out so well, I think. But I think a lot of election goodies will come through there. They can then, you know, run on that, uh, the closer to June that they release that they can run on that uh, as as well as their platform too. Um, I think we'll see a lot of like long-term promises. Um, And I think, you know, we could see some legislation on housing affordability as well. That's obviously a big issue this week. Um, And I think, you know, a lot of talk about cost of living um, and how to help, you know, obviously the, the province can only do so much on that, but I think that, you know, pocketbook issues uh, besides the pandemic, I think are going to start to come up a lot.
0: Yeah, well, uh, there'll still be lots to watch and lots to talk about. So uh, we'll chat again before uh, the election is called. So I really appreciate you, you know, setting the table for this, uh, this election year in Ontario. It's exciting.
1: I'll be happy to debrief you guys anytime on all the drama.
0: All right. Thanks so much, Sabrina. Thanks so much for, for joining us today.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks again to Sabrina Angie of Queen's Park Observer. You can check out her newsletter at qpobserver.com. And we'll definitely be hearing from her again before voting day. And that'll be it for this episode of The RIT Podcast. If you like the podcast, please give it a rating or review in whatever platform you use. It's on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, along with on the website. You can check that out at therit.ca. And if you like what I'm doing, I hope you'll consider a subscription ahead of what will be a busy political year. Speaking of which, a new election date was added to the calendar this week. A provincial by-election in Saskatchewan will be held in the riding of Athabasca on February 15th. Stick with this podcast and the therit.ca for coverage of that upcoming vote. Okay, that'll be a wrap for this week. Keep safe, have a good weekend, and thanks for listening.